Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 124 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. My guest is probably one of the most high-profile guests we've ever had on the podcast before. One of the things I love about this podcast is like it's a mixture of people you've heard of, people who are very influential, and then people you've just never heard of before, just ordinary leaders like you and me working hard at what God has called us to do. And one of the reasons I love that mix is because I think that's exactly how God operates. I mean, he's writing some incredible stories, uh, some of which we just never hear about. But Ken Costa is somebody that he has used extraordinarily. Ken is the chair of Alpha International. And if you know Alpha Ministries, you know how powerfully God has used that movement around the world. But he actually makes his day job in investment banking. He actually is one of the most high-profile and well-known investment bankers in the United Kingdom and honestly around the world. He serves as the chairman of Lazard International for a number of years. He is currently a member of the board of directors of the corporation that owns 70% of Canary Wharf in London, England. I mean, he has a lot of connections. And one of the most powerful things is his overriding passion in life is actually to serve and honor Jesus. And he does that in business, but he also does that through the local church. And I know we have a lot of listeners who obviously work at a church, but we have a lot of you who don't. You work in law firms, you work in banking, you work in your businesses, you work in schools, you work in hospitals, you work in all kinds of places where you're making a difference for your faith. So I think this is going to encourage all of us Uh, both those of us who work full-time in the church like I do and those who don't. And I'm so thrilled to have Ken Costa on the podcast, and he's going to talk all about how you can know your why. In fact, he's written a book about that recently, and we'll put all the links in the show notes. So you can find it there at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 124. So question for you, have you actually registered yet for Rethink Leadership? Because if you haven't, I would love for you to do that. If you can go to rethinkleadership.com today and check out this amazing experience that a number of us are involved with in Atlanta, Georgia. It's a gathering of top senior leaders. So if you are a senior pastor, executive pastor, or campus pastor, you can go. Um, access is restricted to those positions because we want to create a forum for dialogue that is unparalleled. And we did it once last year. It got incredible reviews and we're excited to offer it again. I'm going to be there. John Acuff is going to be there. Reggie Joyner, Kara Powell, Danielle Strickland, Brad Lominick. And do you remember a lot of other leaders as well? But do you remember a few episodes ago, we had Les McEwen on the podcast a few months ago, and he talked about predictable success. It is the number one downloaded episode of this podcast. And there have been a lot of downloads, I'll tell you that. Les is going to be there, and he is going to talk about how to get your church or organization into a place of predictable success, what some people do to get there, and what gets you out of it. I mean, it's going to be an incredible gathering. So if you haven't yet secured your spot, it's going to sell out. Go to RethinkLeadership.com, and you can still get early bird rates. So RethinkLeadership.com. Also, want to tell you all about a great training resource by Trained Up. Trained Up is online training for your church, because we've all been in the place where you want to get all your leaders aligned, you want to get them on board, but like it is so hard sometimes to get everybody in the room 
on the same time. So why not take your training online in 2017? Kind of makes sense. I don't know why somebody didn't think of this earlier, but Scott Magdalene and the people at Trained Up have got you covered. So make sure you go over and check out trainedup.org. It is a way to train all of your volunteers with your content online in a powerful new way. So check that out, trainedup.org. And again, all the links for this are in the show notes. In the meantime, I want to thank everybody who participated in the High Impact Leader launch. We are going to get final results to you soon, but I got to tell you, I know in advance this has been an incredible season. For those of you who missed it last week, we are going to bring it back, but not for a while. It's going to go away. Uh, we may bring it back in the spring or certainly at this time next year, but I got I to gotta say thank you to everybody who got on board. And in the meantime, why don't we jump right into my conversation with Ken Costa. Well, Ken, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm really honored to have you as a guest and you have had a really fascinating and diverse career. Um, so let's sort of start with sort of your spiritual pedigree because you're, you're a church leader um, sort of moonlighting as one as the chairman of Alpha. No, that's for sure. Um, it has been diverse. And yes, moonlighting, I sort of I work during the day in finance and squeeze in the hours to do write books and become chairman of Alpha. <laughs> that's quite interesting. Now, did you come to faith as a child or was it a little bit later for you? I believe it may have been at Cambridge, was it? Yeah, when, when we were, uh, I grew up in South Africa. Uh, it was during the horrible apartheid years. Uh, and uh, I was a student leader, passionate for justice in South Africa, recognized that there was just no future uh, for, for us there, and decided to leave South Africa, came to university in England, and uh, faith came alive uh, for, for me in Cambridge, together with Nicky Gumbel, who then founded Alpha, uh, and we have been friends uh, ever since, and I'm now chairman of Alpha uh, which is one of those great moves of God that's a privilege to be a part of. Oh, it absolutely is. We've seen it move powerfully in Canada and uh, to some extent in the United States and certainly globally and in England. Did you and Nikki meet at Cambridge? Is that what happened? Yes, yes, that's how we met. We met at Cambridge. We were roughly, uh, came to faith at roughly the same time. Uh, so we've been friends ever since. We meet regularly and have done so well, for the last 40 years, really, we left, we met and prayed together in Cambridge and left and came to London. He be became a barrister and then eventually uh, became uh, ordained. I stayed on in finance and we continued to meet 40 years on regularly uh, to pray and talk. That's wonderful. Now, Cambridge would be the place where a lot of young men and women would lose their faith, I would think, traditionally, yes. but you found faith in higher education. How, how did that come about for you and Nikki? Well, it came, it came about uh, because, I mean, when I left South Africa, for me, I recognized that I thought that in, in Karl Marx, we had the, the answer of the overthrow of a capitalist system that was so unjust in South Africa. But when I got to, to, to Cambridge, I recognized that actually this was just not going to be the case because although he might have had an answer, which I didn't think was the right one, to the economic issues, he couldn't deal with the issues of the freedom of an individual, of that personal freedom of a relationship that comes uh, from uh, that of meeting with Jesus Christ, which is one of the changing events or the great changes of my life. And that sense that there was a certain, an emptiness that needed to be filled and couldn't be filled simply by knowledge or by the greater amount of knowledge, which of course Cambridge University was full of, but was by, an, by a, a response in faith, uh, changed my life. 
That's incredible. So was it a, a set of friends that you and Nikki had, or was it a Bible study you went to, or what was the immediate trigger? What happened was there was a there was a what was called a mission in the old days. There was a uh-huh. gathering uh, in the university, and a, an evangelist came and spoke, and he spoke to us about the, you know the, that there was this person Jesus Christ that you could have a relationship with him. That this is all the most foreign stuff you'd ever heard in your life. Um, but we sensed a suspicious ring of truth about it. <laughs> Couldn't say for absolute certainty that that was the case, but there was something that looked and sounded coherent. And then we gathered together and we read the Bible together. We, we studied the scriptures, we prayed together. And, and from that moment on, it grew in us that this really was uh, the way we wanted to spend our lives in a relationship with Jesus. As a preacher, I have to remind myself, you never know who's in the room. You know, you just never know who's in the room. And to imagine that at that moment, there were two people and Alpha would be born decades later and it would have a global impact is, is quite extraordinary. Well, thanks so much for sharing that. Yeah, no, and the other thing is that the Archbishop of Canterbury was there with us. Uh, he was an undergraduate in Canterbury. Yes, Justin Welby, who is now the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, was there in, in, in Cambridge, sort of roughly at the same time. And that whole sense of a, of a, of a spiritual awakening amongst uh, uh, young students, you know, 40 years later, it's astonishing. Just as you say, you have no idea who's in the room. But there, they were, there we were, uh, wanting to do the very best we could, and now realizing 40 years on, uh, we're still around. And the <laughs> faith has continued to be stronger and we have a great Archbishop of Canterbury. I got to ask you, just out of curiosity, do you remember who the evangelist is? Was yes, we called David McInnes, who's now a wonderful eighty-something-year-old, um, still strong, still a twinkle in his eye, and still telling the good news of Jesus. That's incredible. That's incredible. I hope that encourages a lot of preachers. You know, there are days where you think maybe, man, that didn't fire at all, but you never know who's in the room. That that's a that's a really cool genesis. It's not only that you don't know who's in the room. It's actually that the, the words that you speak, I mean, it's a word, it's a phrase, it's a sentence that is the seed that sparks. So you, you scatter the, the, the good news and trust that one of those aspects, very few will remember every single word of a sermon, but there's a hmm. word that changes. Well, that's fascinating. So you move from Marxism and what you saw as its bankruptcy into Christianity. And tell us a little bit about your career, your work history then, Ken. Sure. So I left, uh, I left Cambridge University. I decided that having come to faith, I needed to work out whether there was a credible basis, a rational basis for the faith that had been, absor- uh, had been accepted. And I read theology for a year. Those were the difficult years in, this, in the 70s when everything was doubted. But I got through that and realized that there was still a credible belief in Jesus Christ. Left Cambridge University, went to become an investment banker, where I've been for the last 40 years, and became chairman of two, two financial institutions, um, and uh, still continue in finance, and active within the church as chairman of Alpha, and the dean of our new leadership college, because leadership is utterly essential. Uh, for a new generation, if we are going to ensure that the good news is understood in a in a way that a modern generation wants to hear it. 
Wow, that's fascinating. I mean, that that's a very busy career and also a very checkered one. Now, we do have a lot of business leaders who listen to this podcast. Most of them probably in one form or another are involved at their church. But, you know, my experience when I was in law, my experience in talking to a lot of other people who work in the marketplace uh, Monday to Friday and beyond is that they find that... Um, it's very difficult to talk about faith, integrate faith, even live it out privately in in the workplace. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because investment banking doesn't exactly, if you follow the movies or the novels, have the best reputation as being, um, you know, easy ground for a Christian. Well, I might just reply to you that I don't think tax collectors in Jesus's days were any better regarded than investment bankers are today. So... <laughs> Uh, it's a fertile ground for everybody in need uh, of the saving hand of Jesus Christ. So I always say to people, my workstation is my worship station. It's been a catastrophic dis- division that the church has brought about of leaving people to say, well, there is the work world that you live in, and then you come to church on a on a Sunday evening, and that's your sort of God slot. It doesn't work like that. I think they are totally integrated, the God uh, is is with us. Uh, there's a scripture in Colossians where Paul tells us that in Christ Jesus, all things hold together. And he is Lord of everything. He's Lord of the money markets as he is the Lord of mercy. He is the Lord of profit as he is the Lord of prayer. He is the Lord of commerce as he is the Lord of compassion. That is one indivisible Lord. And that means that we can live an integrated life. And that's what the Spirit of God is doing in our age, is making us begin to understand that we are much more human than ever we are wanting to be made religious. So mm. I think that that is the, the, the book that I wrote called God at Work, tried to capture that the workplace was as a vital part of God's missionary call to many people, probably the majority of people uh, to whom um, people listening to this podcast will be speaking to, will be in some form of, of paid work. Hmm. That I, I agree with you. That, and I love the way you phrase it. The workstation is also our worship station. But what does that look like practically? Like, I'll tell you. It's it's a simple thing. Take a lawyer. You've been a lawyer. Mm-hmm. When a lawyer drafts a document that accurately reflects the interests of the parties, um, then he is doing the work of the kingdom. When a person drafting a marketing document actually writes the marketing blurb without telling things that are untrue. Of course, it's a marketing document. It's not um, that, of a, that of, a, of a legal document. Then, you know, we are striking, you know, striking for light. And that is, you know, practical ways in which we're doing our daily tasks, but doing them well and doing them with the, with the attitude that comes from those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. So you're kind of saying your work is your worship, done well, done ethically, done with excellence. You reflect the glory of God. Is that kind of the vision behind God at work? Give us a, give us a nutshell overview of what your heart is for everybody who works in the um, outside the church marketplace day to day. Well, what I really uh, want to do is, which I've captured, I hope, uh, in the new book that uh, I've just written called Know Your Why. I really want everybody in the workplace to know their why, to know, to find and to fulfill their calling 
in life. It's not a random event that brings us to where we happen to be. And that search for identity, the search of knowing your why, comes well before knowing where or what or how. Hmm. And if you, if, you, if you know your why, you'll find your way uh, in, uh, in your place of work. Is, is the why idiosyncratic? Is it unique to each individual or is it um, connected to the gospel? There is, there is an overall why that uh, captures everybody in every generation, in every age, and, you know, since Jesus was on earth, that we are here to make disciples, to win people for Christ, um, and to follow the commandments. And that is true and generally true for everybody. But there is also a specific, uh, knowing your why, a specific calling to each one of us. And it's based on a simple understanding that Jesus loves us, that he knows us, and that he calls us. And those three things drawn together uh, are the basis of, the, of living a life in a very complicated world that we're in at the moment. And that's why you know, I believe that Know Your Why, which deals with calling, is so important, whether you're a pastor, whether you're seasoned in the faith, whether you're new to the faith, we need to grapple with this issue because many people will change their careers many times, um, uh, more than any other generation over the lifetime. But we need to be sure about our calling during all these changes. It's, it's fascinating because literally right before we sat down to do this interview, I had yet another conversation. It seems to be beyond like, why do good things, bad things happen to good people? One of the top questions I've gotten in two decades of pastoral ministry, which is simply, you know, what is God's call on my life? It just seems to, it seems to be a question, the answer to which eludes most people. Any comments on that? Why do you think so many people find answering their why, finding their calling to be so difficult. Absolutely. And I tell you, I mean, I, th this is such an important, such an important issue for you and for the pastors that are, that are listening. The, the fact of the matter is that we are living in a great deal of macro uncertainty in the world, whether it's political mm -hmm. or economic. Um, we're living at a time when change is happening so rapidly. And individuals are having to make rapid changes in their lives, and they are fearful of them. Yes. And because they know that it's not all going to last forever, the question is, how do I know now uh, what is the right place for me to be, but also be open to the possibility that there is going to be change, which I call the game before the game, the preparation beforehand of knowing that change in your season in life. Now, lots of people uh, work for cash. There's nothing wrong with that. Some work for their career. I'd like to become a partner in a law firm. Some work for causes, usually in the voluntary sector. But burnout is, is endemic in all of these. And the single cause of the burnout is when there is a doubt about our calling. Hmm. And so the calling is individual it is something that knits together everything that God has made us to be. And it's that deep inner conviction that the Spirit of God gives us, which enables us to know that he, that he loves us, that he knows us, and that he has called us. And that, I think, is the revolution that we need to help people work through. Now, the book 
Know Your Why deals with a whole bunch of practical ways of getting to know that. Hmm. But that is the that that is the root issue. Can you walk us through a couple? Like I can see people going, man, I've asked this question for 20 years or five years or 10 years. And I, I'm not sure what God wants me to do. Because even people who are secure that, okay, I'm loved by Jesus. I understand that. But I've got to put food on the table. I've, I've got to get a job. I've got to start something. But I don't know what to do. What are some practical things they could do, Ken, that would help point them at least in a plausible direction, if not the right direction, if there is such a thing? Well, the first is to recognize is if faith were knowledge, it wouldn't be faith. Hmm. If we knew the answer then there would be no reason to trust. And the whole, the whole objective of calling is that Christ wants us to walk in a relationship of trust with him. He is not going to disclose, except very rarely, the most minute details of the rest of your life. So just get over it and just realize, that, you know, that this is a journey of faith. You signed up for faith. You didn't sign up for um, a knowledge institute. So, I mean... <laughs> That's that, well that, that is the first bit. I think the second, here are some very simple things of testing it. The first is consider. You need, if, you know, when you need to sort of, you feel a little uncertain, you feel a little unsettled, consider what the issues are. Mary considered all these things in her heart. And that considering is, a, is it's an important, not just an intellectual process, but it's trying to understand who I am, uh, who God has made me to be. The second, I think, is to consult. We need to talk to people who we want to, who, you know, who've got skin in our game, who, who really, mm -hmm. re who are with us, not who are critical of us. Consult with them. You know, what, you know, there's a new job opportunity. I want to start a new business. I've really had enough of being a pastor. Is there something new that I can be doing? And this is a consultation, and it's very important actually because it's who you choose to talk to that actually governs the outcome very often. And because we're yeah. clever, we choose people who agree with us. So consider what move God might have in your mind. Consult with others. And then the third um, is clarify. I mean, it's very important to try and clarify the issue that you're dealing with, particularly this complex world. And this FOMO is a debilitating, this fear of missing out is a mm -hmm. debilitating problem for a new generation. If I take this job, I'm excluding another. If I live in this apartment, I'm excluding living with someone else. If, this, if I agree to this salary, I might not get a bigger one. So there's a terrible fear of missing out. So we need to clarify an issue. What is it that I am trying to answer? And I always say to people, tweet it to me. 140 <laughs> characters, that's all. So what you've got to be clarifying, you kind of say, yes, I can see all of this. I've consulted. I've considered it. Then the real point is courage. We need to be people of courage. Um, and that is, of course, the advice uh, to Joshua, you know, to be of good courage. That's Jesus' advice to us, to, to, to be courageous and to then make a decision. And trusting that the decision, having been made, having been through the process of it, that that decision is the right one. And that's what Know Your Why, the book that I've written, is really trying to help people address. Now, sometimes we'll get it right, and sometimes we'll get it wrong. But by and large, it's, it is a good principle for following, because if I'm going to get it wrong, I would at least like to know that I did everything I could to arrive at the right answer.
What happens if you get it wrong? Because I think that is a fear for a lot of people. It's like, okay, I consulted, I prayed, I considered, I clarified, and I stepped out boldly in the wrong direction. What, what well, happens well, in that scenario? Welcome, welcome to the human race. You've, <laughs> you've just failed in a project. So what do you do in that circumstance? Here's the first. Never say, I'm a failure. Because if I say I am a failure, that would mean that Jesus Christ would have had to fail in me. And he's not mm. in the business of failing. I failed in a project. I failed in a transaction. I failed in something that I tackled. And then learn. Then we've got three things that I, that I would say in a response when that happens. Learn from it. Don't linger over it. Hmm. And lean forward to the next opportunity. That's good. That's good. That's really helpful. And you're right. Failure isn't fatal. It usually isn't. It just isn't. Yeah, but we it's, have to uh, learn to fail well, Carrie. I mean, that's the problem. <laughs> we don't fail well because we're all human. We feel bad. But we need to learn to fail well. That's a really important part uh, of the Christian life. But vital. Let me ask you, you know, you're, you've been in investment banking for four decades and, and very successful in it at, at the highest levels of investment banking in the UK. Why did you stay there? I mean, if God has put this vision for you for Alpha, why not just, you know, quit your day job now or a decade ago or 20 years ago and do that full time? I'm just curious. Well, I would have done it any day of the week, um, <laughs> but I wasn't called. I didn't okay. have that deep inner conviction that given the person that I was, that this is what he wanted me to do full-time with my life. Right. Uh, and I suppose I've been able to reach people, you know, who, I mean, I don't have to tell people that it's tough in the workplace and they don't have to tell me about the stress in the workplace because we know it. But, mm. you know, we've got that experience to be able to navigate through it and to be able to show that Jesus Christ is really the way and the truth and the life. I mean, that's the key bit. Um, but I've never never known the call to that full-time, uh, dedicated uh, ministry. Hmm. No, that's fair and, and honest, and I, I totally appreciate it. I, I, I was just curious, and I, I had to ask. One of the things we talked about before we started recording was that, because uh, we were comparing notes, in your view, you said, the workplace is just getting harder. It's getting worse. We have a lot of young leaders who are listening to this podcast, some of whom are in the workplace, some of them who are in the, the church workplace. Uh, talk about that. Have you seen things get harder? Sure. Um, it really is getting harder. It's getting harder because technology is disrupting hugely, and it's not answering the question of what happens after artificial intelligence, after driverless cars, after... Mm. The, the, the sort of post-human uh, working uh, condition, what happened in this fourth revolution. So to the pastors, I would say you have a very, very unique opportunity and a very important role to be able to encourage your young people and your older people who are fearful that the fact is that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life, that he is giving us life. And there is nothing more important for Christians in the workplace worldwide than actually to be able to just demonstrate life. When I look at some of my colleagues and I look sort of there's deadness in their eyes, they stress, they've been, you know, the grit and the, you know, of life, as the grind of life has just got them done. 
we need to know that we are energized by the Spirit of God and therefore able to reflect life in all its fullness. It's as simple as that. Hmm. You, that's, that's our great calling. And you need to know your why. Uh, and uh, that's why I think that, that that book is, I hope, going to be a help to people wherever they are. We'll absolutely link to uh, all of the the notes, including the book, in the show notes to this episode. So if you're looking for it, make sure you tune into that when this interview is over. Um, I know there's some business leaders listening right now who are like, you know, I've always thought of my faith as a very private thing. It's not something that's very active at work. What would you say to them? What, what, what would you say to them in terms of, like, do they need to branch out a little bit, or is this just the quiet hope that you walk around with? Or how do you make your faith come alive at work? By doing what God has called you to do well. Um, mm. And by, you know, taking seriously, what does it mean to go the extra mile? Well, I don't have to tell everybody I'm a Christian if I go the extra way of serving a customer better than he would have expected. But it's integral to my faith that you go the extra mile, that you help as best you can. And therefore, I think it's an important recognition that it doesn't have to be demonstrated. I do not go to my workplace um, because it's a good boat from which to have an evangelistic fishing expedition. I go there to do a financial work. I'm employed to to do a good job of finance. Now, that we will always need to make a reasonable defense of the faith that is within us, as Peter tells us. But um, it doesn't have to be demonstrated every single day in evangelistic preaching. But it is in the attitude that we have towards people, the way we treat people, the ability to deal with stress uh, as it occurs, uh, and the, the, the real strength that comes from knowing that the Spirit of God is alive within us. Mm, that, I really like your counsel on that, because I've known people who have come to me as a pastor and been frustrated because they're preaching in the workplace and their colleagues resist it. They really resist it. And yet, you know, one of the things that's often missing in that scenario is they're actually not very good at their jobs. And you're not going to listen to somebody you never respect. Also. Do you find that to be true? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it goes without saying. Um, <laughs> I think Christians have got, you know, we, you know, we, you know, whatever your hand finds to do, do it unto the Lord. You know, he is, you know, he is the one that, that is ultimately the, the employer. Well, Ken, that's, that's super refreshing to hear you say that. And uh, I think it's really good counsel. I'm going to change some of my advice I've got for leaders who are asking about God's will. Throwing your weight behind your work is actually a really good answer. So um, now you are involved at Alpha. I've seen Alpha change a lot of lives in our ministry. Um, I have seen God at work through Alpha. Tell us what the Lord is doing, and uh, I think it's been, most of the audience for this podcast is American. I think Alpha has been bigger globally than maybe it has been in the U.S., so uh, fill us in a little bit and, and tell us why you are so committed to what God is doing in Alpha. Well, Alpha is nothing short of a, of a global phenomenon, hmm. and it is a work of the Spirit of God. About 30 million people would have been through an Alpha course. An Alpha course is a simple introduction to the Christian faith. And it meets uh, in a gathering of people who come to eat together and to have a discussion. 
and it's very open, there's no pressure, and it meets with young and old, rich and poor, those in prisons, those outside prisons, across you know, the entire globe, across every denomination. We've not found a denomination that couldn't use Alpha. Hmm. And that it, it, it's, it's a return to the basics of the faith and to give people the equipment to see just how basic, uh, just how simple the faith is, faith is in its um, best form and presentation. Yeah, and I think that's one of the beauties of Alpha is its simplicity. Now, food has been an essential part of Alpha from the beginning. That's intentional, but tell us the thinking behind starting with community, starting with food, breaking bread. Well, the great issue of our time for a generation is the question of belonging. And the theological question, if I may put it to your audience, which are probably listening to me and are far better geared to answer it, is this. Does belonging come before believing, or does believing come first? Now, this is a postmodern generation. The millennials want to belong more than anything else. They want a sense of belonging. And when you create an opportunity to meet uh, people together, whether it's over a meal or in a small group in a discussion or subsequently for um, meeting separately in people's homes or the friends that you've met, you create that very first step, that of belonging. And that is the opening for people to see that in the essence of it, we are in Christ Jesus. We belong to him. There is a message uh, of hope. There is a message of transformation. And I think that's what has stirred this generation so much uh, to be embracing Alpha. Well, now, did you experiment with different formats in the early days? Like, how did you stumble on this idea that people needed to belong before they believe? Because I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's fascinating. And we often miss that point in ministry. Well, it's been, a, it's been developed over the years. We are constantly, we have a, a permanent task force called Alpha Innovation, uh, mm-hmm. where we're trying to innovate all the time to see how we will reach people. And the new Alpha film series, which is just coming out, um, is entirely, and you can download it, it's there free and available, is entirely driven by the demands of a very... Um, discriminating audience worldwide. Hmm. And it's present. It's presenting the whole of the Alpha messages, not, not as a talking head, but in an interactive, cross-cultural, question-answer, interesting way to reach people at the level of their interest. And at the time that this broadcast will go out, we're launching the invitation in 62 countries of Invite Your Nation um, to Alpha which is initiated wow. by Bear Grylls, who is uh, ready to put his name behind something that has transformed his life and the lives of many of his friends. Yeah, I was really surprised to see that a couple of years ago, that I didn't even realize Bear Grylls was a Christian, but somebody who's a Christian and um, really, really sees God moving in Alpha as well. Oh, absolutely. He's a remarkable friend, and uh, you will see more of him, and you'll see his face all over, I hope, uh, with the uh, hashtag try alpha. Hmm. So one of the things that Alpha and Holy Trinity Brompton, out of which it originated and, and continues to this day, has had tremendous 
um, success with, effectiveness with, is reaching younger adults. And uh, I know you have a heart for millennials. Talk a little bit about how you personally even have mentored young adults, because it's something you're passionate about. Well, it's been one of the great joys of my life to be able to mentor uh, those in their early 20s. Uh, I become dean of our leadership college uh, here, the London um, uh, Leadership College, hmm. attached to Holy Trinity uh, Brompton, where I'm the dean, and where we are training those in their 20s, particularly those in the workplace, to understand what it is to be a transforming Christian witness wherever you are uh, and whatever gifts you have. And it is a very difficult generation because so much uh, is being given by way of modern technology uh, and by way of drawing inspiration from the app that you've got in front of you. It's In many ways, I call it the heads-down generation because the head is always down, as if inspiration comes from something when your head is down and in your hand. And we're called, of course, you know, as Psalm 24 would say to us, to lift up your heads. And for the king of glory to come in, we want to see a generation that is so distracted by the, not only the good things of the digital revolution, but the dark things, the dark net, pornography, um, creating the false assumptions, posting things on, on, that are untrue, which is an, which is, you know, just, it's an epidemic of people um, in their Facebook and their, interactions showing that actually the life that they're leaving becomes just, a, they're just an avatar. It's not real. Mm. And it's to be able to show that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is real and able to shape their lives, give them meaning uh, that I'm, I'm so passionately committed to get them to make that change now at a time when there's huge spiritual hunger in the world, but very few directional uh, hunger to the church because the church has been seen to be out of date. It has, you know, sort of not an understanding of the of the modern world or the stresses or the strains of a generation. That's wrong, but that's the perception. And we mm. need to be able to help them uh, to really come to be the force of, of hope, the agents of hope, the agents of change uh, for a generation. And, and that is, I think... Um, the most exciting thing of everything I do. Well, that is that is fun to hear that that's the most exciting thing. How do you do that? Like, how do you actually connect with uh, millennials, with young leaders? Well, firstly, the church that I'm in has sort of got an average age of about 27, except when I'm there, it probably goes up to 50. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we've got a lot of young people and young leaders around. Um, we we can we can talk to them and interact with them, get to understand the worship that they that they respond to, and then I think there is no substitute for the one-to-one conversations, the experience of a mentor and a mentee, and I learn so much from them. It's not a one-way street, mm-hmm. so I'm exhilarated by meeting with young people and across. You know, I don't just do it for business people, but of course I do it. But I love meeting with young worship leaders. Because I think they're very special. They lead us in our times of worship into the presence of God. So I learn a lot from them. Um, they're cheerful and charming and sometimes clueless. So it is <laughs> quite nice to be able to, you know, to be able to be seen to be helpful uh, with sort of really basic common sense. That's so fun. How, how do you do that? How do you meet with them? I've, I've heard rumor of dinner parties and long conversations into the night. 
Well, <laughs> your ears are close to the ground. Um, <laughs> let me give you an example. Sure. I recently uh, asked the question of them, of a number of guys, what do you mean by sin in the modern world? What does a millennial understand by sin? It's a difficult concept uh, for a modern generation. They understand mistake, but then don't we all? And I gathered together 15 of them, and we had a debate, a discussion of what this generation thinks of uh, the concept of sin is. So I have meetings like, you know, dinner parties. We meet together as leaders, uh, once a year, a hand-picked group of young leaders in their early 20s and 30s uh, to really look at some of the big issues facing our country. And then there are the one-to-one -one conversations uh, that, that I have uh, with uh, selected number of them. Of course, one has to be very careful that you can only take on a certain number. Um, and right. I, I try and be as disciplined as I can. But the key question that all the millennials are asking is exactly the one that I address in the book of know your why. They are struggling for identity. Mm -hmm. um, but then that's not unusual. Our, our country is struggling for identity. We've just had Brexit. We don't know who we are yet. Yes. Um, the United States has got many similar issues looking to see what is, you know, what makes us the United States? What is the identity? And against this background worldwide of a global identity crisis, individuals are struggling. And that is what uh, I'm passionate about, to help people, you know, get to know your why, get to know what God has called you to do. Hmm. What other questions do you, this will sort of be my last question for you, but what other questions seem to be top of mind as you connect with young people and young leaders? Well, the, the macro questions of, um, you know, the stewardship of the resources of the world. Yes. Um, is, um, it's very strong in a millennial grouping and it is, often seem to be an older generation as not being interested in it. Mm -hmm. That's the first. I think the issues of human sexuality are very high indeed, in, to the extent that most millennials simply cannot understand um, why we are uh, adopting traditional views um, and not being able to meet the changes in the, in the world, and that's a big topic. You see, the interesting thing about millennials, millennials can hold two moral, two moral propositions that are mutually contradictory and not feel uncomfortable. I mean, it's the first generation that I think can do this. Uh, and, and that's, that's actually very true. That's a very astute observation. Yeah, but that's because that's what happens, you know, all day long on social media. You know, they right. have an expressive view today because somebody's persuaded them one way, but it might not be the same view tomorrow. But we have to help people to come. You know, there's that great verse in Isaiah, come, let us reason together. Yes. We need this, this, this common reasoning uh, to enable us to be in touch with and to direct a, a, a generation. And then, of course, the issue of belonging. Huge, mm. huge, huge one. A loneliness in the big cities, the need for belonging, um, the, you know, the, the, the pain of being... Um, rejected as a, as a friend, um, you know, is all, uh, you know, creating this Facebook image of a community that doesn't really exist. These are the angsts of the age. Hmm. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I think millennials are so open to mentoring 
is the loneliness. And while they actually crave the company of people who may be a generation or two ahead of them in life. Well, that's, uh, I mean, that is, that is true. But also, you know, don't forget it's a fatherless generation. Our country, and I'm sure the same um, of yours, the generation is now coming into their 20s and 30s who are the force, you know, that first generation where, you know, divorced parents were telling the children, well, they don't really matter that we're divorced. The children can still be very secure. And tragically, of course, you know, it's a fatherless generation. They're looking mm. for, for, you know, some form of sense of, of belonging and steering and mentoring. Well, Ken, I know we are at the end of our time together, but I just want to thank you. This has been an eclectic, fascinating, and I think helpful conversation. The Stuff on Calling, make sure you check out Ken's new book, Know Your Why. Really, really helpful. And and some advice that honestly isn't given that often and extremely helpful. I know people are going to want to find you online, and they're also going to know where they can get a copy of your book. We'll have all the links in the show notes, but tell us where people can find you directly. Well, the, the, the simplest thing is know your why book. Right. Uh, if you hit that uh, .com, if you hit that website, um, you can buy it from your bookshop or from Amazon. And one concluding piece of advice, if you know your why, help others find theirs. And if you don't, I hope the book will steer you in the right direction. <laughs> That's great. Ken, you've been very generous with your time. I know you run an incredibly busy schedule. Thank you so much for building into leaders today. Really and appreciate it. Thank you very it. much. And thank you so much for all the people that have had the patience um, to listen right through to the end. <laughs> thank you. Well, that was a great conversation with Ken. Hey, if you want more, you can get more in the show notes. Just carrynewhoff.com slash episode 124. And we got some powerful stuff coming up in the next few weeks. Next week, in fact, I sit down and have a long conversation with David Kinneman. He's the president of the Barna Group. And they did this massive, like 170-page report on the state of pastors. And we're going to talk about cultural trends. And we're going to talk about how healthy are pastors? What's the home life really like? Uh, what are the top rewards of the job and frustrations of the job? So if you care about your pastor, you know your pastor, or you work on church staff, you're going to love that. So that's next week. If you subscribe, you'll get that automatically. Also coming up, Mark Batterson, Scott Sauls, Kyle Eidelman, and many, many more. So really excited for that. And uh, thanks so much for listening. I really hope you had a great time listening today and hopefully you have a better clue about your why. If you haven't checked out rethinkleadership.com or trainedup.org, make sure you do that before you shut things down today. And we'll see you next week, next Tuesday, every Tuesday, a fresh episode. Thanks so much for listening. And I really do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.